Today I'm going to share about value number 15, just so you're interested, out of 17. We've got two more after this. Um, But before I get into it, let me pray. Father God, we love your presence. We love you being with us. We love Jesus. We love your spirit. We love what you want to do amongst us. Lord, everything you want to do is good and perfect and wonderful for us, Lord Jesus. And I, I just pray for your spirit to remain with us during this time. I pray your spirit be with me as I kind of go into something quite, quite detailed in a way. I pray that you would kind of work through the detail, bring clarity, but also bring excitement and vision into this subject as well. And help me to do that, I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. So today I want to talk about, if you're new to us, we are going through the values of this church, the kind of church we want to be building. And one of those values is to be an apostolic church. Now, to many of you, perhaps most of you, that will mean absolutely nothing. That's okay. Hopefully, by the end of this sermon, you will have a bit more understanding of what that means and why it is so important for us as a church today. But to explain apostles and to explain apostolic churches, I need to first talk to you about foundations. Because whether you know or not what an apostolic church is all about, I'm sure you all know the importance of good foundations. We need good foundations. We need good foundations in our home. If you've ever dug a patio, wherever you, maybe you've, you're a builder yourself, maybe you've helped build a home or a shed or, or an extension, you will know all about um, good foundations. Now, I'm quite an impatient person. I don't like this part of the process. It's really, it's not glamorous for me and it's too much like hard work. Um, You dig in deeper and deeper into harder and tougher ground. And all the time, I don't know about you, but all the time I'm doing that, I'm thinking, I've got to fill it in again. You know, I'm, I'm digging down all this stuff. I've got to get rid of all that stuff and I've got to fill it in with more cement, which means more work. So the more I dig, the more work I'm adding on to myself. And perhaps... As we do this, we're tempted to skimp a little bit on that process. I mean, you know, who would know? Why not just get to the fun, kind of exciting bit where the bricks began to get, go up and the stones are put in place or the steps go down if you're building some steps? You know, process where it's fairly quick, where instant results are seen, which we all like to see. But of course, we would know. Because the rain will fall, even in June. And if the foundations aren't deep enough... The bricks will lean and then fall, the stones will crack, or the steps will slip, and all your work will be in vain. And we need good foundations for our lives as well. We need to build our lives on solid rock, and we, like with the foundations of the home, that takes time and that takes effort. And perhaps as well, a bit like maybe a bit impatient and a little bit lazy like me, you're, you're, maybe you're tempted to s- skip the hard bit and just go for the the bit above the surface, the, the stuff that people can see and admire. Well, you know, I, I won't read my Bible or pray or kind of deal with that sin. I'll just, you know, learn to behave right at those right times. You know, put on my Sunday best. Everyone will think everything's going well. Anyone looking in will see a good and perhaps godly person. But we forget that the same, same storms come in life as come in nature. And with strong, without strong foundations, if you only have the cosmetic impression of a well-grounded life, the storms will come and they will floor you. You know, I, I, the trials of life will come and our, our ministry, our family or our spiritual life may just not survive that storm. You know, I don't mean to be dramatic. I, 
That's the reality of life. So we need to do the digging down in our own life. We need to start digging down to the root of that sin rather than trying to control the outward expression of it. We need to fill those foundations with good, true cement, which is only the word of God. You can't fill your life with anything else. You can't fill your life with your foundations with worldly wisdom because that will not stand. You can't fill your foundations with kind of pithy Eastern religion type thinking. It must be the word of God. And ultimately, the Bible tells us to build our lives on the only true foundation, that is Jesus Christ. And if we have based or founded our life on anything else or anyone else, it will let you down. Don't base your life on wealth, which will be lost, stolen or spent. Don't lay your foundations on your career or your, or your job, because otherwise it can be taken from you and then you are nowhere. Don't base your life on human relationships. Because a tragedy or a mistake can take them away from you in a moment. We need to build our lives on Jesus Christ, who he is, what he has done for us, what he has said over you, and what he's commanded of us. And perhaps even there are people here today who know they need to do that in their life. Maybe you've been coming to church for a while. Maybe it's your first time. Maybe you felt good about coming. Let's face it, we feel good doing good things. Walking out of church on a Sunday morning is a kind of a, you know, let's be honest, we're a little bit smug, you know, thinking that was a good way to spend a Sunday morning. God is happy with me right now. God is smiling over me. You see the other people that are going on bike rides and thinking, you know, I I feel good about it. But if we then return to worldly foundations, jobs, wealth, human relationships, popularity, power, when the storms of life come... Those moments at church will count for for very little because we haven't rebuilt our lives on Jesus Christ. And it's costly. We have to admit that we've been building our lives on something that will let us down. It's hard and we'll be tempted to do like a a half-hearted job about it. You know, not just get rid of the old foundations, maybe just mix, you know, add Christ to the top of what we're already doing. But don't give up. Remember your patios, remember your extensions, remember your homes. Because sad and and depressing though this may sound, this Sunday could actually be your last moment of peace before a massive storm hits you, like your life. You know, ask Michael Fish, hurricanes are very hard to predict. We don't know, you know, we went to Cornwall, we expected a nice week of weather. And look at the storms that we have. You can't expect, you can't say, well it's June, therefore we're not going to have storms in our life. Or we're not going to have storms in nature. we, We can't predict it. And this Sunday could be the last moment, and then actually this could be our moment of peace, and then everything could change for us. And it would sadden me so much to think that you're missing your, your, your one opportunity to build your life on Christ that will get you through those times. Because being in Christ doesn't prevent those storms, but it does give us hope in those times, and it gives us confidence to see God at work through us. I hope you agree, foundations are important, both in our buildings and in our lives, but also in our churches. Our churches, our church needs a good foundation. Even if you notice, actually, in the Bible, illustrations about the church are often constructional. They're about buildings. You know, God knew that within the human spirit there would be this desire to build stuff. From the Tower of Babel to the the Burj Dubai, the highest, tallest building in the world at the moment, over half a mile high, from the pyramids to our kids' Lego sets. We have this desire in us to build stuff. And so wonderfully, God helped us to understand some eternal mysteries, like the church, 
by relating them to things that we can see around us, things that we live in, things that we work in and, and build. And the, the, this is what Ephesians 2 says about the church. It says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Again, this is a constructional language, built on the foundation of the apostles, first mention of there, and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building, that is us, the church, is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling by which God lives through by his spirit. In our homes, in our lives, and in our churches, good foundations are vital. Whether physical foundations that we walk on or foundational values like we're talking about today, if we want those things we hold dearest to survive the storms, we mustn't ignore what we're building on and with. And actually, this whole sermon series is all about good foundations. Making some checks, maybe a few adjustments, maybe agreeing some decisions together. Okay, this is what we're going to be building in the future. Last year, we, we passed our 10th anniversary. We, we celebrated 10 years of BFC. We, so we're kind of passing from infancy into early teens, um, hopefully without all the mood swings and the you know, gothic desires. But we, we want to know what we're aiming for as we pass the next milestones, the next five, seven, ten years and beyond. And the values that we've been looking at haven't been a kind of a, wouldn't it be nice if we were a bit more like that? It's not like, well, the church down the road, they seem to be doing this, and they seem to be having a lot of fun doing that. It is more fundamental than that. It is, these are the foundational truths if BFC is going to survive the storms of life, and if we are going to have the strength to build big. I want us to be a church, a building that is building on story upon story, ministry upon ministry, growing in capacity for numbers, salvation, and healings and miracles. My prayer is that God will find in us a church that can handle the big stuff. How tragic would it be if we got to heaven and God came to us and said, you know, if only you'd built stronger on me and my word, I could have given you so much more than what you saw. Imagine how, how that kind of... <laughs> heartache it will be in heaven god says actually you know what guys you, you you could have pushed through that 200 if only you'd built better your in your foundations if only you'd you know god god comes up to us and says you know I, I wanted you i wanted you to be bigger but i realized you couldn't have coped with it this value series is all about ensuring that god is confident to keep building story upon story on bfc and this is where apostles comes back into our story Having apostolic involvement isn't just a good foundational value like all the other ones we've been looking at. It is a value about foundations. It's all about foundations. It isn't merely a value about building well. It is a value about what we are building our church upon. Paul, who was one of the early church apostles, said this about himself. 1 Corinthians 3. He says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder. Someone else is building on it, but each one should be careful how he, how he builds. Jesus had appointed Paul to be an apostle, and that's how Paul chose to describe his role as an expert builder. And actually, that is kind of the best analogy to what apostles are all about, as we consider the foundations like I've been doing. The word apostle literally means someone who has been sent, a representative of one in authority, the Bible speaks about three kinds of apostles. 
It begins with Christ. Christ as the first, the greatest sent one. He is the first, our first apostle. He is the greatest foundation on what we do. He is the solid bedrock at the bottom on what we built. He was a sent one from the Father. And then the Bible says that he appointed 12 disciples to be the next apostles, the second kind. And these 12 men had a specific role to receive the Spirit at Pentecost and to lead the church into, into existence, really. But then the Bible speaks about a third kind of apostle. Not given a direct command by an earthly Christ, but rather, as we'll see later, Ephesians 4 declares, the risen and ascended Christ has appointed men to continue that apostolic role through the later centuries of church growth. Now, right from the start there, some Christians, perhaps even people in this room, will disagree with that last group. They can agree with Christ being an apostle, they can agree with the 12 disciples, and maybe Paul added on the end, but actually they say that is where the role ended. They would say, perhaps arguing from Scripture, perhaps arguing from Scripture very well, the apostle needed to be appointed directly by Christ, something he obviously can't do right now because he's, ascend- he's ascending to heaven. And the next time Jesus appears on the neighborhood, he won't be appointing anyone to do anything. He'll just be bringing us all home and wrapping everything up. They would argue that the gifting is no longer needed. They would say that the early church needed men like that to get things kicked off, but now they're no longer necessary. They believe in what we would call the apostolic succession, so apostle after apostle, but only for one generation until the Jerusalem church and the big churches were set up, and then everything could be finished apostolically wise. But I want to give you two reasons why I disagree with that particular view. The first reason I disagree is pragmatic. The second is scriptural. So pragmatic, the kind of practical reasons why I disagree with that is that throughout history there have been men who have clearly had that apostolic role. Ironically, some of these people had that role even whilst disagreeing that the role existed as well. But with hindsight, just as we look back at the life of Peter or Paul and say this guy had an apostolic role, so we say, we look at the impact of their ministry and we see these guys were clearly apostles. As you look through church history, you'd have to argue hard against Guys like William Booth, who set up the amazing Salvation Army work, which transformed this nation. I mean, don't get beyond brass bands like it is today. Salvation Army was the most radical church of its generation. Huge impact on the nation. John Wesley and his brother Charles as well. Just the Methodist movement that they established was a national revival. It was amazing work. We've been traveling, I say, we were in Cornwall last week, and you go through a place like Cornwall and you see Wesleyan Chapel in every, even the tiniest villages has a big Wesleyan Chapel because of the impact of the work that guys like them were doing. Transform, not just villages or towns, but whole regions. In fact, national significance. They, these guys planted numerous churches. They cared for them. They encouraged their leaders. They had a father in role over them. They were clearly anointed by God beyond that, just that pastor's role. They were anointed by God to establish huge works that lived for generations. And even in our own history, New, uh, Bill and Sir's family church belongs to a family of churches called New Frontiers. Even in the history of New Frontiers, um, there have clearly been guys who God has appointed in a special way to help us build well. 
And the size and the influence of what New Frontiers is now is testament to the gifting and the grace of God given in that gifting to them. In a little over 30 years, so in a generation, New Frontiers has grown from a few guys in a, let's face it, a hardly impressive and a hardly spiritual Sussex town to now 850 to 900 churches worldwide. That is an equivalent growth rate of a new church every other Sunday. And at the moment, the growth rate is much greater than that. And though we don't boast in man, obviously, all this is a work of God, but we do acknowledge the grace of God at work in men with the kind of gifting that enables that kind of growth. So pragmatically, surely we must see our apostles still to have a role today. But obviously, the second reason is scriptural. And obviously, that, I'm not doing that second because it's less important. I'm doing it because you're more likely to remember the second point than the first point. Scripture always, we always defer our experience to what scripture says. Scripture seems to include that apostles are still an integral part of God's church. Scripturally, I can see three reasons for the continuing necessity of the apostolic role today. All of which come from the, the major passage about apostles in Ephesians 4, verse 11 to 13. Let me read this. Ephesians 4. It was he, this is Christ, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Why did he do it? To prepare God's people for works of service. Why did he do it? So that the body of Christ may be built up. Why is it important? Built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, until we all become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So Paul is writing in Ephesians, he's saying that those gifts, including the gift of the apostles, is given so firstly that the body of Christ may be built up. Now, it is being built up, but it's not there yet. The church of Christ is growing, to be sure, faster than ever. It is bigger than it has ever been, despite the fact that persecution is greater than it's ever been. Please forget the lie that Islam is the fastest growing religion. That's just not the case. In the next 30 years, Christianity will pass the three billion mark. Even in what we would call charismatic churches, there is an annual growth rate of around 2.4%. Which doesn't sound like much, but when you start with a billion people, that's a lot. That's, a, that's millions and millions of people. And yet, despite all that growth and despite all that greater building, I'm sure that you agree that the work is not yet finished. The Joshua Project declares that there, uh, estimates that there are probably 17,000 unreached people groups still in the world, representing about 3 billion people, totally unreached. The body of Christ is growing, to be sure, but it's, surely we can't say it's fully grown. So why would, we include, why would we conclude or concede that the apostolic role is no longer required? Paul also says it's done that we might reach unity in the faith. We are, I think, more united as a body of Christ than ever before. When we consider the past thousand years of history, the church does seem more united than ever. Praise God. When you consider some of the tragedies through history, 30 years war that decimated a third of the population of, the, of, the, of Europe were killed as the Protestants and the Catholic fought against each other. You bring it right up to date with the troubles in Northern Ireland and you, uh, many other conflicts worldwide. The history of Christianity seems to be more about disunity than unity. But praise God, things are getting better. Perhaps that disestablishment of the church and state helped that. It's always good if people go to church because they believe in God rather than just because they would get punished if they didn't. Um, 
And you've got peace in places that you never expected to have peace. Places like Northern Ireland. I'm, I'm sure none of us expected the kind of peace that we are enjoying in that place to ever to, to, ever to happen. I think unity is stronger than ever. Even in our village, I think we are more united with other believers than we have ever been. We do things together. We, we, we'll do messy church on Wednesday. We do it together. Your leaders meet and we pray together. We're not just kind of co-workers who just get on with each other. We're good friends. We meet together. We pray. We support each other. We send regular emails to make sure we're all okay. And yet, we can surely say that the church is still not fully united in the faith. There surely is more need than just for the good pastors, teachers, and prophets. There's a need for an apostolic vision that will draw people united together. The other reason that apostles give, and Paul says, is that we would all become mature. And maybe you think you're quite mature. I'm sure you'd agree you're not quite fully mature to the measure of Christ. You know, whenever we, when we enter the Christian walk, we, whatever we were before, whether we were presidents or priests or whatever, or princes, we come as newborn. We come as newborn spiritual children, and God's intention, as with our children, is that we would mature and grow up. The problem is that, tragically, many Christians are happy with immaturity. And because of that, the churches they build are immature. And But we are growing, praise God, day by day. Ever increasing glory, the Bible says. But we're not quite there yet. And so if, if, as Ephesians 4 tells us, the role is needed until we are all built up, until we all reach maturity, until we all reach unity in the knowledge of God and, and in the faith, I'm sure you agree we're not there yet. I would look at this, the, the church, even the best one, even the best ones like us, you know, I have to say, okay, we're anything but perfect. Yes, as a church, yes, as a faith, yes, as a movement, yes, even internationally we have come so far by the grace of God, but we're not quite there yet, are we? We've got, still got a long way to go. And so over every church you have this sign that says it is unfinished. Christ's work is finished. The church is still unfinished. It's still a work in progress going on. Paul uses that word unfinished when he writes in Titus about the church in Crete. He sends Titus there to kind of begin to finish that work, appointing local elders, teaching good doctrine, like the valleys we're talking about at the moment. And equally, our own experience of church is that our churches are unfinished. They are masterpieces in production, but not masterpieces hung on an art gallery. They're not perfect or mature, though we are being perfected and are maturing in Christ. There is still the need for us to build on the foundations of the prophets and the apostles. I do hope, like me, you can see the necessity for the apostolic succession through all generations. And not just for the reason I found out this week. Sidney Smith, the 19th century preacher, said, I must believe in the apostolic succession. There be no other way to account for the descent of the Bishop of Exeter from Judas Iscariot. (laughs) Hopefully you have better reasons than he did. So let me get a little bit more specific. I said there'll be a lot of information here about the role of apostles. Because I can say that, you know, they're here to make us grow in strength and maturity and unity, but that doesn't really explain how they do it. So what I want to do is go through the, the kind of apostle's job description, as it were. You know, how is it different from pastors and teachers and evangelists and prophets? What is the job description? If their goal is to build well, strong and united and matured, how are they going to do this? Seven ways they do it. 
Firstly, they bring, this is what apostles do, they bring understanding of the overall plan of God. Part of that uniting, maturing and building role is to ensure that the local church accepts and lives out their role in the light of the bigger plan of God for the nations. His big, great, awesome, eternal, universal plan to bring all things under one head, even Christ Jesus. It's very easy for local churches to get narrowed in and focused and blinkered into their own ministries and their own favorite thing. They can have great vision and great strategy to serve their community, but they can miss the greater plan of God for the nations. We can love one particular group, but then kind of be blind to everything else that's going on. And apostles are bigger picture men. They are visionary leaders. Just as an apost- a pastor's role is to ensure that everyone in their church finds their place in God's local plan, an apostle's role is that churches find their place in God's greater plan. Secondly, apostles plant and establish new churches. They hear from God and they either plant the church themselves or they anoint and appoint people, other leaders, to do it for them. They may not always be the troops on the ground, but they are the leadership, they're the logistic and the training support that makes the church plants happen. We see that, remember it for ourselves. Here at BFC, being 10 years old, we remember but a church planting. And all the apostolic input that we had when we planted this church, first of all. And without that apostolic input, I don't imagine we would have ever got past the living room-sized church that we started with in October 2001. Don't forget there have been other groups that have tried to plant into this church. None of them have succeeded where God has blessed us here. And I think apostolic vision has been a vital part of that fruit. Now, whether a church survives or dies, ultimately it's a grace gift of God, but I'm convinced that much of that grace comes through apostolic men and um, and prophets and gifting like that. So thirdly, this is their job description. They, um, they lay good foundations in churches. Again, going back to that foundation. And they equip other leaders to do so well. Apostles bring teaching. They write books. They host conferences. They meet with leaders. They provide training opportunities that speak about the right values of New Testament churches. And personally, I have been mightily blessed and encouraged by godly men who speak about the foundations of this church, and they help us stay on track and on target. Many of that stuff you will not see. Many of the stuff comes through the elders and through the, the particularly um, through lead elders that we found in this church through me. There has been apostolic input to say, actually, Ben, you need to lay a foundation. You need to focus on this thing. I am blessed that there are men who are willing to face my sinful objections, to stand up to my pride, and still to speak into this church to ensure that we are building things well. These are the men who will notice if we're slacking off a bit in terms of our foundational stuff and just going for the, you know, the pretty cosmetic building the bricks without the right foundations. Fourthly, apostles become fathers to those churches and the leaders of those churches. And this, for me, is the only reason that I can see for this role being reserved for men. As I spoke about a couple of weeks ago, God made us, made man and woman equal in honor. As Martin Luther tells us, there's no degrees in the image of God. There's not one who's made more like God than the other. We are fully made in the image of God, male and female. But we, don't, we have different roles, different focuses, different attentions, even within that equality. And among other, among other things, men are called to be fathers. Whether spiritually or physically or hopefully both, 
Fathers who will love their children, challenge them and teach them. Fathers who will lead the way. They will live lives that are worthy of being copied and emulated. And apostles aren't just guys who are told to come in and tell the church what to do. They're there to equip the church to think for themselves and to make the right decision for themselves. It's just like with your children. You know, when they're very young, they will ask you about everything. Hopefully when they leave home, they won't ring you every night about every decision they will have to make. Well, Dad, should we have fish or chicken tonight for dinner? Um, I'm, I'm thinking of watching this TV program. Do you think it's good for me? Um, I, 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 I feel a bit dirty. Should I have a shower or a bath tonight, Dad? I, you, know, hopefully, you know, you can expect these questions when they're four or five. When they're 24, 25 and married with kids of their own, you kind of expect them to have grown up a little bit as it is with apostles and churches. The idea is that the foundational values given will guide them to make the right decisions themselves. Fifthly, I said there's a lot of information. Bear with me. We'll get to kind of, you know, something amazing in vision another time. Apostles provide ongoing care for the churches they have planted and established. We see this best demonstrated through Paul. He didn't just plant churches and then leave. He planted them, left to plant new churches, but he came back. He did many journeys where he just returned to the churches to see how they were doing. And when he wasn't able to be there in person, he sent letters. Some of that, just a few of those letters we have in our modern Bible, many of them are lost. And Paul doesn't write kind of blanket letters to the church in Asia Minor. He writes letters to churches to people he knows. That's why we have the greeting bit at the back, to show that Paul knew the people who were there. And that's part of the fathering role again. They care about how things are getting on. They are intimately involved in the church family. They rejoice with us when things go well. They grieve with us when things are tough. They see themselves as part of the family of that church rather than just some kind of bishop oversee role that comes in to tell them off when their indiscretions reach the papers. That kind of you know, bishop role. Sixthly, Apostles involved the local church in the wider missions to the unreached places of the world. The global mission, the regions beyond as we call them. Apostles are bigger picture men. They gently remind us to look up and look beyond our own situations. As I said before, it's very easy for churches like, like us to get a bit parochial. You know, we've got our vision for Billingshurst. You can have your vision for Billingshurst or Brighton or Bombay or wherever. You can cry out for the people in your community But then forget that's not all that God has called us to. He's called us to be part of this great salvation plan for all the nations of the world. And God wants to catch us up, not just in local vision, but in global vision, in his heart, not just for the people in your neighborhood, but for the unreached people groups of the world. He wants us to get beyond ourselves in a way and lift our gaze to the great advancing kingdom of God. And apostles are gifted by God to help us do that better. Seventhly and finally, apostles are concerned with the poor. In Galatians 2, when Paul is kind of given the seal of apostleship, you know, they sign the, you are an apostle, Paul, by Peter, James, and John. The one thing the disciples felt they wanted to say to Paul was in Galatians 2.10, don't forget to remember the poor. You know, as you're going out, Paul, doing all your wonderful mission, planting churches, growing and supporting churches, appointing elders and leaders, don't forget the poor. And apostles are gifted men who think they are kingdom-minded. They challenge us to, to not narrow our vision to what we imagine the kingdom of God is all about. 
You know, lots of people on the Sunday morning and Alpha courses that are full. It's very easy. Well, that's our kingdom of God. No, the kingdom of God is much greater than that. They want, to see, they want us to see the kingdom of God advancing, yes, through church plants and salvation, but also through well-founded churches, through missional hearts, and through justice to the poor. So there's a job description. That's a job description of an, elder, of an apostle. These are all the things that will help us grow in size and influence and maturity. I'm convinced, I hope you are too, that growth in maturity, size and uh, unity aren't automatic. They won't just happen because we gather on a Sunday. They happen as we are deliberate about making them happen. Apostles are men who will help us do that. They will help us build up our church. They will help us to see us as individuals, but also as a church to grow in maturity. They will help us stay united with each other and with other believers. And they will help us stay united to God's great plan for the nations. How could we ever imagine that we are not still in utter need of that gift in here today? How could we scripturally or pragmatically even believe that the need no longer exists? So what will it look like for us as a church? If you're new to the value series, or if you know, you've, you've slipped off during some of them, what I'd like to do at this point is to give three or four strategies as to how we're going to bring that value into reality um, and I've drawn a blank this time. I'm sorry. You know, the thing is, at the moment, we don't have all the answers. We don't know. Let me explain why we don't know. It's not that we are happy in our ignorance. Um, New Frontiers, as as a movement of churches, are going through a transition, a growth spurt, which has led to a transition stage. As I say previously, it was you had kind of one guy who was accepted to be an apostle for the churches, a guy you may have heard of, a guy called Terry Virgo. And when he's looking after a few churches in Sussex, he's able to do that. When you have a worldwide movement of churches that is now probably pushing 900 even as we speak, it's a little harder for him to get around the churches to visit everyone and say hello and shake hands and kiss babies, that kind of thing. Um, so we're going through a transition stage where we are going into apostolic teams. So in the UK, there are now going to be five apostolic teams that churches will commit themselves to. And, and at the moment, <clears throat> we aren't exactly sure where God wants us to connect. As John mentioned, a few of us went to Plumpton when we weren't blown away by it, um, physically rather than just spiritually. Um, and uh, that's one of the teams that we can link up with. A few of us are going down to West Point, which is a, a conference in the summer where, we could, uh, where we're meeting some of the guys there to see whether we feel God is calling us to connect with the teams there. Obviously, I've given you the job description of the apostle, but each apostle, you know, like, a, like with pastors and teachers, there's a unique way they bring things about, and we need to see where God is saying he wants BFC to be connecting. So at the moment, we don't know. But these things we do know. BFC needs to protect our foundations. It is not enough to say we were built well. As with all buildings, there is a maintenance on all levels of things that we need to be doing. What else do I know? I know that BFC needs to be looking to the regions beyond. An apostle is charged with lifting our gaze to the unreached people groups, whether in India or China or deepest, darkest, Pulbra, Midhurst, Bognor. I know that. I know as well that BFC needs to be remembering the poor, especially as God blesses us with new venues, buildings of our own, offices, new ministries, new gifting. We mustn't forget that God's heart and his eyes in the Old Testament, always seem to be focused on the poor and in the New Testament. So should ours. 
I know as well that BFC needs to be involved in church planting to acknowledge that the job is far from done in this generation just because Billingsworth has a family church. This I know as well, that BFC needs ongoing support from godly men who have the authority given by God and acknowledged by the elders here. We need trusted men who will stand up to our mistakes and guide us back to the path if we allow ourselves to be diverted. And I know as well that BFC needs to be appointing new leaders and elders to cope with growth, but also to cope with the new regions beyond where God may call some of our leaders. So our heart is is to see apostolic vision being brought. And we're currently looking as to see how that will come about. Our prayer is that by the end of 2012, we will know which team God wants us to connect with. So we can say, we can bring some guys on a Sunday and say, he's on part of the apostolic team. He can preach, you know, guys can come in and you can meet them. You can shake their hands. They can kiss their babies if you want that. Um, That kind of thing. But at the moment, we're seeking God for his guidance. And so my application for today is very simple. Please pray for us as elders, as leaders, just that God will begin to knit us together with apostolic guys who will do all the things that we need them to be doing. And pray as well for the true impact of those gifts to be felt here in this church. I want this church to build well and strong so that God will see in us a people that can carry big weights. You know, by percentage population, we are one of the biggest churches in New Frontiers. But I'm certainly not content with that. I desire this church to to grow in influence and witness and salvation and growths and healings. I want this church to grow in maturity. A church full of spiritual kids gets gets caught up in all the the extra stuff and the, the distractions of life. I want us to grow in unity with each other as well as with the other believers in our community, in our nation and the nations. I want this church to be a contributing part, not just of God's plan for Billingshurst, but for God's great plan for the nations. I want us all to be part of Christ's great redemption work, the great winning back of the nations to himself. I want this church to be a place where ministries of all kinds of poverty, that, that ministers to all kinds of poverty around us, and in the nations. And apostolic men, apostolic giftings will help us to make that dream become a reality. So please pray for us in the coming weeks and months. And our expectation is by the end of the year, we'll be able to start putting some kind of flesh on the bones, really, about what that will look like for us in the future. Can we stand? I realize it's been a lot of information. So well done. <laughs> First of all, let me pray. Lord God, it's felt like more of a a teaching session than preaching. And Lord, sometimes we need that. Sometimes we just need to, to learn new things about what your word says, about what your desire is for churches, for what your desire is for us as individuals and as a corporate body. And, uh, I just pray for the, the kind of rooting of scriptural truths in our hearts today. I pray that there would, there would be an excitement, Lord, about what we can, in a way, we, what we can get out of, what new things, uh, what, what new horizons will be open to us as we grow the apostolic in this church. I pray for each of us, even those who've never heard of apostles before, that they would begin to see the necessity of this gift, grace gift of God for this church and for our lives. 
Lord, we want to build well. We want to build strong. We're not content with, you know, we, we did well 10 years ago. We're not happy with that. We want you to trust us with bigger and bigger things. We want you to trust us with numbers of people. We want to trust us with the needy, with the poor, with the sick. We want you to trust us with ministries that will grow in influence and, and impact in this village. We want to become more mature in Christ. We want to be more united in Christ. We want to be built better in Christ. Lord, may the apostolic make that happen, I pray. Father God, we just ask for your wisdom in the coming weeks and months. For just, we want to do things as you've told us to do them. And we know that apostolic mission and vision and input is a major, vital part of what Bill and South Family Church should be about. Help us, we pray. Give us wisdom. Give us encouragement. Give us good times with good guys, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.